ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen this is the black baseball mixtape i am your host cheats and this is another edition of mixtape talk i have the honor the honor of being joined by a newly minted head coach yeah. of Marist college lance Ratch- ratchford coach ratchford welcome to the mixtape i'm so excited to have you yeah, I'm happy to be here, man. 100. Um, percent You know, thank you for reaching out. Um, anytime I can do something like that and, and be put on this platform, um, just to talk about my story and um, answer some cool questions out there. I mean, there's others that are that are like us. Um, that look not like very us, many. That are, yeah, that, <laughs> don't that look like don't us cut you off. Not very many. <laughs> That's, no, this yeah. is this yeah. is awesome, and 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 <laughs> the reason why this is so important to to this platform is that we've been interviewing D1 African-American collegiate coaches, and we've been looking at the numbers, and we've gone over the history. And 2022 is shaping up to be, as we go into kind of this upcoming college college baseball season, yeah. it is a watershed landmark season in regards to we'll have, I believe it's 12 Division One. It might be tw- you might make 13, but it's either 12 yeah. or 13. African-American Division One coaches, what I do know is that you make number five that is outside, of an, H- yeah. right, for, yeah. outside of an HBCU, and it is just, uh, you know, it is an amazing honor. Obviously, it's a, a testament to the work that you put in and the history that you've had, um, and so I guess the first question I always ask is when you get that call and you get that offer to be the head coach of Maris. Obviously, you have history with the school, but do you put in perspective that looking around, you're like, man, there's not a lot of us, and this is an amazing, amazing opportunity. Yeah, I I remember getting that call, and the the call, the thing about it, it all happens really fast, too. Um, It was one of those situations. I mean, I was coaching in the Cape Cod League, so I was away from home, um, and I want to say it basically happened in a span of about, you know, five, six days, if that, mm-hmm. um, you know, where things move really fast. And I remember leaving campus here, you know, after, you know, kind of like my official visit interview and, and I felt really good about it. Um, I felt really strong about it. I went home, talked to my wife. And then I remember going back to the Cape thinking that my offer or thinking something was going to happen, you know, that Friday, um, the AD actually called me at like, uh, Tim called me about, you know, 10.30, 10.30, you know, that Thursday and made that offer. And I remember, you know, just being by myself at the time and just kind of getting off the phone and being like, wow, this is this is absolutely crazy. This is this is such a great opportunity, um, such an honor. Um, and, and I just remember just being like almost like I could just exhale and, and breathe a little bit and just say, like I, like I, like I made it to this point in my career, um, you know, only being 33 years old. Um, so not only being, you know, not an African-American coach, but also being, you know, you know, one of the youngest, you know, five, six coaches, you know, in America for this coming season as well. So, you know, that, you know, what you've done in your career, it kind of all leads up to it. Um, and, 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 you know, it really is a testament of like what the outside world, you know, maybe thinks about what you've been doing the last, you know, 10, 12 years. And it's one of those things, man, it's just, I, I'm so proud to, you know, wear this Marist shirt and to, you know, be the head coach here. And 
there's, you know, it's an absolute dream come true for me. 100%. So that is awesome. And you did, you mentioned it. I wasn't going to bring it up, but 33 years old. Yeah. When you, when you, again, what are the steps at 33 years old, one of the youngest coaches in the country? Was that, was that always the plan to be a coach and be a leader? Like what were the steps that, that turned it for you in your journey? Because you've had a history with Meredith. You, you've been a D1, D3, excuse me, head coach. Uh, but coaching, it had to start early. It had to be in the blood. Where did that coaching journey start for you? It's kind of funny. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a Keystone guy. You know, I was a Keystone transfer uh, as a player. You know, so I'm a Jamie, Jamie Shevchek product you know and he runs a program at keystone you know if you've ever looked at their roster i mean you know it's it's a diverse roster from kids from you know latin american countries and 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 inner city kids and you know kids that look like myself and and are different um so i think that's actually where it started of getting to play for a really good head coach and and jamie shevchak and you know he's you know one of my best friends and you know so no one can ever say that, that they got to play, you know, college baseball, you know, and, and then also became best friends with their head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, actually that first, I, I played my senior year at Keystone and we, we did really well. Got to play in the College World Series. I had a really good senior year. Um, but that January, Chev helped me get a internship in the New York Yankee system right in Scranton uh, for the scranton Wilkesbury Yankees. Uh, and it was a front office internship with the GM there. Um, my intention first was, you know, if I'm not going to, if I'm, you know, if I don't get drafted, if I don't sign a deal, I want to work in baseball. Mm-hmm. And my first thing was I want to, you know, either be a scout. I want to get in the front office. Like this is my first step in all that. Um, so I went there worked for the Yankees that, that summer after we got, got back from the college world series. And I absolutely loved it. I, I thought that this was going to be my calling. I'm going to be a front office guy. You know, maybe I can get in the scouting, shake the right hand to someone. This is kind of be my track. All right. And um, I worked, they kept me there till like September and I had to actually go back to school and finish my degree. Cause I was a transfer. I was going to be like a, like a January, December graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I applied for a full-time job there and went through the whole process, but then corporate freezes, you know, for, for Scranton because they're rebuilding the stadium for that 2012 season. And actually the Yankees, the AAA Yankees put on the road that, that following summer, the entire summer. So they didn't hire anybody new. You know, I had one, gone through two interviews and, and nothing happened. I come home in December, January, and I'm kind of sitting around and applying for all types of front office jobs all across minor league baseball and putting in like a hundred resumes, you know, every single day. And my parents are like, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? Um, and then one of my summer coaches, Ben Grimm, you know, it's like one of the luck of the draw. He gets the head coaching job, interim job at SUNY Oneana. I'm from Oneana, New York, right in my hometown. He gets the interim head coach job. They made, made a change. And he calls me up and says, hey, I know you're at home. Do you want to be my assistant coach? You know, you want to be my assistant coach? And I say, yeah, like I got nothing else going on. I, you know, I'm trying to apply for jobs, trying to find my way. It was a part-time position. And after that spring, I was like, no, this, this is what I want to do. Like, I'm going to coach. I'm going to be it. I, I, this is what I want to do. I, you know, I don't, you know, this past summer with the Yankees was awesome, but I want to be, I want to get into coaching. Um, and then four years later, I worked for Ben for four seasons. Um, then, you know, Chev called me, had an opportunity to go to Cape Cod and be the manager of the Brewster Whitecaps. And, 
you know, calls me up, you know, his former shortstop and says, Hey man, you know, you know, I know you're, you know, coaching now. Do you want to come out to Cape Cod with me? Um, and then I went out there and did that. And, you know, from that, just building your resume, right. You know, getting to coach some of the best players in America. Um, you know, from then on, you know, I, you know, I've got the volunteer job here first at Marist. Um, so made that shift and, you know, had a first opportunity to come here and be a division one assistant. Uh, one year later, I get promoted. One year later, we go to a regional. And then, you know, two seasons later, I'm in position to be, you know, a division three head coach. Um, and then at that point in time, I remember talking to Chris here and being like, hey, is this the right decision? You know, we're just coming off of two really good years. Um, and I was, you know, we were returning a really good roster. And I'm like, hey, is this the time to, you know, take take a division three head job and, and get out of division one? Because, you know what, some people always say, you know, you you leave division one, maybe you don't get another maybe opportunity. Maybe this back. is your job yeah. for the next 20 years. And, yeah. and it is what it is. Um, and I remember him and, and but also, too, it was one of those things. It was like, hey, Chris, like if we do well one more time, you might have an opportunity to go somewhere. And, you know, I would love to go with you or whatever. And he's just like, you know, I'll never forget what you did for us here. Um, you know, you never know. You know, blink your eyes and, you know, I could be going somewhere else. And, you know, you, you know, we could have an opportunity to work together again. Um, so I took that job at SUNY Cobaskill. And um, it was a good situation where, you know, it was a good opportunity to rebuild something new there and uh the ad was in fully support of it uh Mur marie curry and headley um and she let me take that program and 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 shape it the way i wanted to and the way we looked and the way we played and um all those things and you know you blink your eyes four years later and we won two divisional titles um this past spring we you know we swept all the awards you know player of the year pitcher of the year freshman of the year mm. i was coach of the year for the first time in my career and then, you know, I get that call from from Marist in August, and you know, you blink your eyes, and now you're a Division One head coach. This and is it just, this it is so, this is so fascinating. <laughs> let, let me ask you this because you you mentioned a little bit about how tough it was to leave Marist the first time, and and, yeah. and 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 if that's right, what was a tougher decision for you, leaving Marist the first time or returning to Marist after you had such four seasons of, like you said, swept all the awards, player of the year, rookie of the year. You've, you've built something in division three where it, it's really special. Was that a tough, was that a tough decision at all to say, let me, let me make another yeah. leap? Yeah. Um, we did some really special things there. The program I took over and we, you know, we're, we're going to talk about it a little bit more. Um, I took over a three and 30 loss team. Um, so one of the, so that decision for me to, you know, talk to Chris and Chris being like, Hey man, like, I think you should do it. I think it could be good in my head. I'm like, Oh man, like this could either be a career killer or it can be a career maker. Sure. Cause you go there and you know, it's already bad. If it gets worse, then you're probably done. Right. Mm -hmm. You're probably at baseball. You're probably maybe looking for another job, you know, a couple years later. Um, but also it's a career maker. You go there and you change stuff over. Um, we went from three wins to 16 wins, got to the postseason in my first year. And then, I mean, it was divisional champion, get to a conference championship, you know, two years in a row. And, and, and we did some really cool things. Um, but it was a hard decision to leave th that group of guys that I've built and molded. And, um, you know, they're, they're left with another really good roster. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Austin Schraub, my associate head coach there now, take, is taking over as the interim head coach now. He set up, 
you know, as far as recruiting, as far as, you know, what we've been doing there the last couple of years, you know, we've been building something special and heading towards, you know, being in a, a team that's going to go to a regional, you know, multiple times. Um, and it was a hard decision, but it's one of those things, you know, this, this was kind of that opportunity to, you know, get in division one baseball and, you know, my whole thing, even when I played, like, I want to play, I want to coach, I want to, I want to be at the top level. I want that ultimate challenge. Um, and to get that ultimate challenge at a place that I'm really familiar with the people I'm familiar with the area, my wife, you know, you know, lived here for, for four years when we were here. And, you know, my family, you know, loves, loves this place. My daughter was born across the street from here. Um, so it was one of those things. It was like, Hey, if you're not going to be a division one coach there, you know, right. You know, when are you going to be a division one coach? Um, so it's one of those things, you know, I, I, I took it and, you know, the guys, you know, the guys, they, they, they were happy for me. Um, my Cobasco players and former players, they knew that, that, that this place was really special to me. And if any place was going to steal me away, you know, this was going to be it. So, so this is fascinating because front office is one thing, which is uh, amazing. Yeah. We need, we need yeah. way more African-American, <laughs> uh, you know, just a, a, a welcoming mindset in front offices. Coaching on the field, being with the players directly is another thing. The aspect of Division One college baseball or any college baseball that often is overlooked is the recruiting part. Yeah. Everybody expects yeah. you look. Everybody expects you to get excellent players in your program, especially if you're in a rebuild or, or keeping something going. And they don't they don't talk about that as much as they talk about like, okay, this is the coach. This is what we're doing on the field. These are the game time decisions. But in order to be, an, uh, in order to be a, an excellent head coach and the things that you've already done, you have to get good players in the program. Yeah. What do yeah. you ha, talk to me about your recruiting philosophy, and then talk to me about what would what would you consider a Lance Ratchford player? So that was like my main thing. So as soon as I got the job here, like that's that's all you're thinking about. Like how can you maintain the level of recruiting here? You know how can we continue to bring in really great Maris guys. Um, so my first goal was like, I got to keep Mike costs. So Mike costs, I coached him. I coached him. He was my first assistant at Cobus skill when I left, right. Senior captain for us. I didn't know who to hire when I was at Cobus skill. I hired our senior captain, left-hand pitcher to be my pitching guy. So he was with me for one year. We do really well. Chris steals him back from me to be the pitching coach here at Maris. A year later, he becomes a recruiting coordinator here you know, for Chris, and he's done a incredible job here with bringing in talented players um, and, and, and doing a really good job with the pitching staff. So main thing, I get hired, I got to call him up and say, hey, you know, I know you're probably getting poached and probably getting some interviews. You know, if I, I get this job, you got to stay. Like, you got to stay. You got to be You got to be my recruiting coordinator. You got to be my pitching coach. You know, what do I need to do to, to get you to stay? And he was like, Ratch, you get the job, I'm staying. Like, like this is, you know, I'm a Red Fox. This is what I want to do. So main thing was first locking him down. You know, he was a perfect bridge between the guys that were already here and then myself. Um, what's really funny with our roster is our fifth-year guys, I recruited, but I never got to coach them. So the Nico oh, Armory, the Brian Hartz, the Zane awesome. like I went through the, all that process with them, but I never got to coach them. That first fall when they arrived here, I had left. Um, so it's one of those things. I had strong established relationships with all of them. Um, they all wanted me to be the next head coach here to kind of finish off their college career. So that, that connection and that, 
um, you know, just keeping things going here, keeping things, you know, you know, as routine as, as possible. That was a big thing there. Um, so yeah, this fall was all about us, you know, locking down the best possible 2023 class. We, you know, we could, we could grab out there. Um, and I think we got a really good one. Um, we brought in seven guys. Um, it's one of those classes where it's not, it's, it's quality over quantity. The number didn't have to be super big. Um, but us filling in, filling in holes and filling in the cracks. Like that was our main thing, you know, with our recruiting class for the 2023 class. Um, and it ended up being really good. You know, the, the big thing with us that we always talk about is we're always going to get good players. Like good players are going to want to come to Marist. Um, you know, you get a player here, you walk them around our campus, you show them our facilities, our new player development setup that we have, our weight room, our indoor turf uh, baseball setup that we have. It, it's, it's an incredible setup. Um, but you're also trying to find that, that deeper, that deeper type high character guy that is willing to, you know, maybe go to a mid major. Um, but also education is super important to them. Um, you know, the high academics here at Marist is, is super important to, to the student athlete, you know, beyond baseball. Um, so I'm looking for kids that we don't have to worry about in the classroom. I'm looking for kids that are just ultimately really tough, tough, tough nails just you know will run through a wall for you and they have that that passion for the game because that's the thing when they come to us we're going to ask a whole lot out of them probably more than 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 they actually think you know before they sign their name on that dotted line um so the guys that just really have that huge passion for baseball willing to go anywhere in the summertime to get better and develop um you know guys that don't get homesick guys that just care about baseball and school and, and just their development. I think that that's the big thing because we're going to recruit really good players. We're going to get talented kids, but are those kids willing to put in the work to develop into becoming excellent players, becoming, you know, excellent student athletes. Um, and I think that, you know, what Chris had done before us and then me as an assistant, when we were here, we did a really good job at, at, at what we brought in and, and what we developed once guys got here. I'm actually glad you mentioned that because I was looking at a lot of the bio and a lot of the history over at Maris and, the, by far the most all Americans you have are academic all Americans and you have yeah. quite quite a few of them and it's it's um I was always wondering do you go out and and look for really academically astute you know high high quality ball players everybody does but the number that that Maris has is, is quite amazing and and the fact that to hear you say that that's a pillar of looking for for a Maris player it, it makes complete sense yeah how did you? You know, you, you mentioned you played, you played in college. How did you fall in love with the game of baseball? So it's kind of funny. I'm actually from like a basketball family, right? Okay. My dad, who played college basketball at SUNY Oneana. He's from, he's from New York City. He's from the Bronx, grew up in the Bronx. My mom grew up um, in Massive Beach, Long Island. So two kids from downstate end up going upstate to go to college. Um, my dad was a really good basketball player, played in a Final Four. Um, when he was at SUNY Oneonta, was part of a Final Four team there. Um, so my whole time growing up, you know, travel ball and playing at the Boys and Girls Club, like everyone thought I was going to play college basketball like my dad. Were, were, um, you, were you good? Were you a good hooper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hoops was, <laughs> hoops was my number one thing. Hoops was nice, my number one thing. Nice, and, nice. And that's, you know, that's all I wanted to do was just play basketball. And, I mean, I would spend hours and hours at the Boys and Girls Club just competing and playing. Um, but early on – I mean, my dad just saw baseball in me, man. My brother was mm. playing Little League Baseball, and 
and and baseball was something I just took to you know little league and and, and going through you know going through middle school ball and then and then travel ball later on and legion ball um I was just really really super talented and super talented early and my dad he didn't play baseball at all wasn't in his cards at all so he was learning the game as I was learning the game um and you know, he, he, he's a basketball guy at heart, but I mean, now he's a baseball guy. I mean, he watches the Yankees every single night and, nice. um, and he studies, studies my program and my roster religiously and he'll be at all of our games, but we kind of were growing that passion of baseball together. And, um, in the basketball side never really left. I mean, I won a sectional title here, you know, as a senior, um, you know, when I was a basketball guy too. And, um, but, you, I kind of knew right away, tenth, eleventh grade, that I was going to be, you know, be a college baseball player, and, and baseball was going to be my thing. That's awesome. And and as the time when you're growing up, playing the game, loving the game, watching the game, who are the players that that you looked up to, or who are the players that you watched and wanted to see on the field all the time? Well, obviously, I'm a Yankee guy, man. I'm a New York guy. I was going to ask your dad. I'm a New York guy. You guys are sweating right now. It's, yeah. it's, it's oh a little tough. It's a little Sweat. tough. Last night was tough. I thought we played good enough to win. One swing by Bregman there kind of kind of changed everything. Um, but obviously, man, me, me being growing up and being a shortstop, you know, I was a huge Derek Jeter guy. Okay. Um, big Derek Jeter guy. You know, as the game kind of evolved, I mean, I really loved Robinson Cano. Um, you know, those players that played middle infield, Jose Reyes, you know, him being a New York guy. Um, I, I was a huge fan of those guys. Um, and, and, and for Jeter, man, it was one of those things I, you know, I always carried, tried to carry myself, you know, the on and off the field thing, you know, mm-hmm. just like Derek did and, and, and just bringing it every single day. And, um, and then like the leadership factor, um, I, I, I just, I, I always was drawn to, to the Yankees and, and drawn to that Derek Jeter um mentality and you know i was those were my two favorite athletes growing up i was a huge kobe bryant fan and huge Derek jeter fan you oh, know, wow. two guys that played for the for one organization their whole career um won a lot of championships and and you know put in that work ethic uh, and were just really consistent you know professionals moving That's forward awesome. so now look today's game even in college baseball has a lot more flair than say than say the the now you mentioned uh, Jose Reyes and Rob they they were flair players Robinson Cano and Jose Reyes yep. flair players Lindor is a flair player Derek Jeter yep. is not a flair player how how do you uh, with your with your team and with your kids how how do you handle kind of the new age uh, let, let me put a little bit more uh, Tatis if you will a little bit more Vlad Junior in the game is that is that an issue for you or did or, or is that something where you kind of accept it as it goes along or you you tell your guys like hey we're not going to do some of this stuff i i like my guys to wear their emotions on their sleeve um but i always tell our guys like like play like being cool is playing hard like being cool is playing hard like playing fast you know stretching a single into a double you know, triple, you know, I, I want our guys to play fast. I don't want guys to play cool. Um, and, and I always say like, you know, the, the, the cool guy gets beat by the dude that plays hard. So what would you rather do at the end of the day? Winning is cool. So it's one of those things is there's, there's a, there's a fine line between it, but I'm for our guys wearing their emotions on their sleeve and, and, and getting jacked up for each other and, and, 
and, and getting loud and, and just showing that emotion on the field. Um, but I think that it's one of those fine lines of, of, of do it for us. Like you don't need to do it towards somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right. Like getting jacked up, looking at our bench, coming in, being excited, our bench running out there and, and, and greeting our pitcher after a big strikeout, all those things. Like you don't need to even incorporate the other team to it. Right. It should just all always be about us. And if we have that type of positive energy with us, like I'm good with it. I mean, where are your emotions high? You know, guy makes a big play, us getting excited, our bench getting excited. I'm for that. As soon as it starts to get in that uncomfortable situation where you're showing somebody up and the respect gets kind of knocked off, then right. it's one of those things. It's like, ah, you know, maybe we're, we're crossing the line a little bit. No, that's awesome. It's, and it's, uh, we're, we're, you know, you're seeing kind of all of these different, I think this is a great season and where you're seeing a lot of flair, a lot of excitement, a lot of support for your team. And you're also seeing, Hey, look, this may have this may have crossed a lot a little bit, and or or more than a little bit, right? Especially like I said, you're a Yankee fan. You saw what happened at the end of the Cleveland series. Yeah, everybody, yeah, everybody's yeah. rocking the baby. <laughs> <laughs> let let me go back and ask you because you talked a lot about your journey, uh, and you asked about and, and how unique it is, right? Uh, being young, being African American, we're always trying to figure out how we increase those numbers, especially in the coaching ranks. But, you know, I know they're doing a lot of things in the player ranks as well. But when you look and see the landscape, and like we said, we kind of both shook our head and said 2022, wow, there's only five African-Americans outside of HBC one, outside of HBCUs. What do you think has to happen, Coach, to increase that number? Yeah, so, you know, I'm part of the ABCA uh, Coaches Association, and every year we have a diversity panel where we all meet up, um, you know, minority coaches, you know, me, Coach Jackson, um, Coach Thompson, Coach Beamer. Um, every single year we, we all meet up together and just talk through, you know, how can we improve the landscape of, of college baseball coaching as far as our numbers? Um, I think the big thing, it all starts with more African-American players being in the game of baseball first. I think that is probably is probably the biggest thing. So you know, you know, inner city leagues and, and making sure that like they have the right funding for those leagues um, and, and and just making sure that those numbers, you know, continue to stay high in inner city as far as, you know, African-American players playing the game of baseball. Um, and then post-career, post-playing career, um, you know, them wanting to, you know, explore the option of, of, of coaching. And this is the part, and we always talk about it too. And we talk, we'll talk about it when I go there in January is being a college coach early on, obviously there's a sacrifice financially to be a, Huge. you know, a part-time Huge. or a volunteer yeah. um, to be a GA and one of those things. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, you know, you got to go into the hole a little bit, you know, if this is what you want to do. I mean, my first, my first year in college baseball working for Ben at Oneana, I, you know, I mean, $3,000 for the spring. Um, and then it was like summer comes and you grab a summer job and you make another two. And then the fall happens again. And it's, it's one of those things. I mean, I was part-time for four years before, you know, being a volunteer here with Chris and then finally, you know, you know, being full-time and being a full-time division one assistant. Um, and even being a full-time division one assistant, it's not going to pay yet. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, you know, unless you're at a power five place or, you know, you know, one of those bigger schools. Um, 
So it's one of those things, you know, them getting into it, but then also knowing like what the investment is and, and knowing that it's not going to happen for you right away. Um, you have to really love the game of baseball and really be invested in this process of, of maybe not getting paid for, you know, eight to 10 years or, or seven to 10 years. So I do think that um, the first whole step in this thing is yes, get more African-American kids in baseball, but then also just trying to, 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 to start a lot of those, you know, those African-American players and, and, you know, sell them on the fact that, Hey, this could be a good career for you. Cause you know, you were a good, you were a good leader. You were a good player. Um, you know, you, you're very knowledgeable of the game, but also, you know, getting them in good situations to coach right away, which is, you know, the best way I think is, you know, getting into it is getting into a GA position where you're going to get a master's degree. You know, you might get a little bit of a stipend where you can survive. You might get free housing, things like that. But finding those positions for, for, for us, I, I, I think is, is the main thing. You know, if you can go somewhere and get a master's done, you know, that's, that's bigger than just a salary of $50,000. You know what I'm saying? You know, and the interesting thing is every coach I've talked to, every coach I've talked to has mentioned the sacrifice that young coaches have to make and, and those volunteer positions at the beginning and, and partial pay or, or the lack of pay yeah. for assistant head coaches. Yeah. And, and that's across the board that obviously it impacts uh, African-Americans greatly, but that's across the board in D1 college baseball, obviously even the lack of scholarships. Right. So the question yeah. is, is there anything that we think that that baseball can do to help kind of lessen that burden? Because, again, it's a universal burden. It just seems to affect uh, African-Americans even more than uh, than others. But it, it's I wonder, because that is a constant, uh, how difficult it is to uh, even if you want to start, it's very difficult to, to do what everybody seems to have to do. And it's like taking years and years with kind of barely scraping by. Yeah, I do think, I think you are, you are right of that. I think the way the NCAA is and the way that our game is growing um, and maybe on the power five first, Mm -hmm. but increasing the amount of scholarships that we get from year to year. I mean, us with 11 and a quarter right now being fully funded. I mean, you're almost targeting, you know, a, you know, a middle-class to high-class kid because you know that you can, the kid can afford to come to Marist. You know what I mean? If we give them 50% and, you know, you know, it's expensive. It's an expensive game, even when you are on scholarship. Um, so I do think increasing the scholarship numbers would be a huge change. Let's just say your 11 and a quarter went to 25, you know, where you do have more full-time scholarship guys where, you know, if you if you like the inner city kid that can come come to you and play center field for you for four years, and you're just like, hey, this kid's going to be a full scholarship guy here. So it doesn't matter, you know, whether it's Duke, whether it's you know Marist, or whether it's Fairfield, whether it's you know an expensive institution, you know that you can make it work for that player. I mean, I do think that that does go into it, and and maybe that has to be the next change. Which, you know, you're watching ESPN every. Friday in the spring, you're seeing SEC games, you're seeing ACC games, and you are. The stadiums yep. are packed and facilities are, are big. Like the game is growing to a point where, you know, maybe the scholarship thing is the next thing. Um, and then, yeah, and then, and then the last one more thing is that, is that volunteer spot too. Like, let's just yeah. say the game continues to grow, you know, maybe it's three full time paid assistants rather than the two full time paid assistants and then that volunteer spot. You know, that's the next thing. One other thing that came up, and I, and I'd love to get your uh, get your take on this, is 
because of the way the system's kind of set up as it is currently constructed, mm-hmm. there is a lack of development projects. And what I mean by that is I'm just finished up. I just had a wonderful conversation this week with a with an author by the name of Howard Bryant, a f- fantastic author. He just wrote, uh, just recently wrote the book on uh, Ricky Henderson, the biography of Ricky Henderson. And there are so many players, especially in, in you know, coming out of the late 70s, early 80s, that were Ricky Henderson was a football player first. Um, there's other players, Vince Coleman, uh, Tim Raines, all, uh, you know, they were like athletes. And then the scouts would find them and say, hey, you're, you know, you're going to be a development project. And yeah. we may take a couple of years to, to develop you and see if you can take the skills and the natural athleticism you have to be a center fielder, to be a, to be a leadoff hitter, to be a, and it seems as if, as we kind of moved away to a certain part of our game, uh, you know, even our quote unquote development projects are, are, are mostly baseball players first that may have some raw talent, but you're not going to take, you're not going to look at that, you know, track guy and say, Oh man, this guy, he's, he's the wind. If I can just teach him mm-hmm. how to hit, um, yeah. what, what do you think about that? Because obviously you're in a position where you got to recruit players. You got to get them in, in, in your program, but like just the raw athlete, it, it, which tends to affect, there's so many all-stars, Major League Baseball all-stars back in the 80s and 90s that were just athletes that they made into all-star, almost Hall of Fame baseball players. Do you find even kind of development at a coach at a head coaching level different and tougher than taking, say, like, you know, a raw piece of clay and making them into a player? Uh, Yeah, I, you know, we've done it before. Um recruited a player that, you know, maybe was going to need some time baseball wise, but athletically, you know, you know, maybe they played wide receiver at their high school. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they were, you know, a basketball guy um, that was just starting to get into baseball. Um, I feel like being at a place like here, sometimes we have to do that because that's the part. I mean, you might get a premium player two years down the road mm-hmm. where, Hey dude, I, I, I think we can, I think we can get him over the hump baseball wise. And then when he puts together athletically, like he can be that premium guy that maybe no one saw that, you know, we're going to get at the end of the day. Um, I do think that. And like, you know, even as a, an assistant coach, like I've been to my share of college football game or high school football games just to <laughs> see a kid, you know, catch a couple passes or, or you know, a high school quarterback that's making passes. Um, I do think that that is big. And, and I do think that, you know, being at a mid-major um, and not being at a power five place or a place right. that you're always going to get like a premium guy. I think you do have to be open-minded to that. Like you do, you know, Hey, we can get this kid right here. And, and, and I know he's, you know, really raw, but I think athletically, if we can get him to this point, we'll put in that time and, and we'll see where it goes. Um, you know, whether we have to redshirt him in the beginning mm. and then we see where it goes for a year, two, three, four. Um, but I do think that that is a piece. And, and, you know, for us, we're always going to develop players. Um, I think we have to, I think at power five places and places that, are more accustomed to getting the premium player. You know, it's a little less of the development side and more of the managerial side. Um, for us, I think we have to do it all. Um, and I and I think that that's, I mean, that's what makes my job fun. I like that. I mean, we're about to get into Indies Monday and we have our group split up and we're just, I was just going over the schedule with my assistants right now. Like that's, that. this is the fun part where, you know, you might get to really have that hands-on one-on-one time with, with the guys that, you know, and for me, I'm excited about the freshmen. I'm excited about, some of the raw athletes that you're talking about that maybe struggled with the bat in the fall, but Hey, if I can get them there mechanically, we can make some adjustments. Like 
there could be an all-conference guy in there. You never know. So, Coach, you alluded to it, and uh, we'll we'll get you out here in just a uh, just a little bit. But but you are taking over a program that is is not bare at all. It, you are taking over a program that finished second, I believe, in the conference last year. Uh, you're coming, unlike a lot of new coaches across the board, you're coming yeah. into an, a, an established program with a lot of history. Obviously, you're familiar with it. Uh, does that take on a new challenge for you to to kind of keep the trains coming and saying, hey, look, we're 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 right there as opposed to taking over a program where we're just like, hey, we're, we're tearing it all down and starting from scratch. You don't have to tear much down. You're, you're you've got a good team uh, in place and you bought some new players in that you're excited about. Uh, tell us about what we need to expect from, from Marist baseball this year. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about it a little bit before, before we went live, um, you know, being an African-American coach, you sometimes might get an opportunity that, you know, your cards that you have, you know, you know, are, could be kind of bare that you're dealt. Um, and, and it's usually a, a rebuild situation. Um, for me, you know, I'm lucky enough and blessed enough where this isn't a rebuild. Um, you know, our roster is really mature and then, the freshmen that we had came in are, I mean, they are ready to roll. You know, we have some really good freshmen that are definitely going to produce for us right away. Um, you know, a program that won 30 games last year. Um, this is a different animal than what I was thrown it thrown into, um, you know, at SUNY Cobuskill where it was like, hey, complete rebuild. You kind of have nothing to lose. Um, but this situation that I have here, it's one of those things. It's like Chris said, here you go, man. Here's the keys. Um you know, get it, get them over the hump and, and get them to a regional. Um, so, you know, we, we talk about it more than, than probably you should, but I just, I, you have to bring it to existence for it ever to happen. So this whole fall was all about details, all about, you know, talking about going to a regional, talking about competing in a regional, talking about winning championships. These guys have to feel that every single day that we're together. Um, and they have to, it has to be on their mind constantly. Um, it has to consume them. Um, and that was one of those things that, you know, I told them, you know, we are going to compete and that was, that's going to be the main focus this fall. You know, we're going to keep track of wins, keep track of inner squad wins. You know, you're going to know how many wins you have, you know, playing on red. You're going to know how many wins you have playing on gray. Like we have to, we have to then take this thing and get over the hump. Um, and that's been our whole mindset this fall. Um, and it's one of those things I just, you know, I'm really excited that, you know, I have the opportunity to lead this group. Um, but it's one of those things I think we're, we're talented enough, and I think they were more talented enough last year. Um, you got to be playing the right, the right, you know, type of baseball down the stretch. Um, not that you got to be a little bit lucky, but you got to be, you know, a little hot at the right point in time. Um, and I do, I am really excited to see what this group can do. Um, I think that this group is just as talented as the group that, you know, we took to the NCAA tournament in 2017. Um, but you also have to be playing the right type of baseball at the right type type of time. So very excited. Well, we are excited for you, coach. It, it, it is uh, awesome to get to know you a little bit more, to talk to you, talk about your journey and the program. Uh, I am ecstatic and over the moon about, not only you being in the position that you are, but what you're going to, what you're going to do for your program. Uh, it's, it's only given your history already. I, I would say it's only inevitable that uh, you guys see great success there. And, you know, not don't look, I don't want to get the Marist people uh, at all, at all worried, but yeah. it is inevitable 
that you know down the line somewhere in the future that even you know even more opportunity look even more tougher decisions you're gonna have yeah. to make as, yeah. you, as you go through last thing i'll get you out on this coach uh, I know once you get these jobs, it's all baseball all the time. You just said you're talking to your assistant coaches. You're in kind of the fall season right now. You also mentioned that you have a family, a wife, and a child. Is there any – look, is there anything you're going to do for yourself, any vacations? You Look, any time that you can take between now and the start of the spring season, if you will. Um. So, yeah, we just finished up – we just finished up fall – well, we're finishing up tomorrow. Right. Um. will be our last official fall day, and then we go into Indies. So – I should have a little bit of time on the weekends. Look, I can already, I'm not believing you very much, coach. I'm not believing you very thing, much. But it never stops. I mean, even That's with our awesome. 20, you know, our 24 class and, and 23 class, like we have official visit date, you know, coming up here for our guys. And um, it's one of those things that never really stops. We have no vacations planned. Um, my wife, my wife is actually pregnant right now. Um, oh, congratulations, coach. Yeah. Congratulations. And we're having, we're having two, two twin boys. Oh so my goodness! More coming. Oh, that's um, phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Yeah. So our lives are a little chaos right now, and um, and it's one of those things we don't have anything planned. But that's awesome. Uh, I always tell my wife, just you know, when I come home, like just being, you know, just being with my daughter and my wife, and and just sitting at the table and having dinner, and and just being together. I think that that is that is the main thing um, to do, especially when we're outside of kind of the official fall. Um, kind of transitioning into Thanksgiving and Christmas, but you know we will enjoy ourselves. You know for those holidays, Please for Thanksgiving do. and Christmas, do, and and as soon as January hits, it's just going to be chaos with babies coming and you know us opening up. We open up at USC, so we get to go to LA um, oh, in February. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be a crazy spring, but you know hopefully it's you know I mean baseball is a family thing, and 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 they know. They know that I'm a baseball fanatic, so they try to be around me as much as possible around the game. Well, Coach, I wish you the best of luck. That's exciting. We'll be watching very closely. It's Marist College. It's close. Coach Lance Ratchford, congratulations on the new appointment. Everything. Congratulations on being – look, twin boys. It's going to be so exciting uh, for you and your family as you move (laughs) forward. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Black Baseball Mixtape. This is another episode of Mixtape Talk. Uh, Thank you. We'll be back next time. Thank you.